our gracious God. Father in heaven, we've just sung of your amazing grace in sending your Son. And now as we come to your word, we realize that, well, we're all those who are sinners. I'm a sinner. So how can it be that I bring this message? It can only be that it's your word, your message, and by your spirit you would use even a sinful servant like myself. And so, Father, we pray for us all, for all of us as hearers of your word, that we would hear your call in Jesus' name. We ask, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you that question. You'll see it on the back of your service sheet with the sermon outline, the message outline. That question is, do you know your place in this world? Do you know your place in this world? And I ask that question because that's a stinging question, isn't it? It may be that people say it explicitly, and if that's happened to you, I feel sad about that. But I also feel sad when you see it implicitly, where, where people put others in their place, where they, they put them, you can sit over there and you, you can be over there, and that's your place in our society. Do you know your place in this world? Rory prayed in our pastoral prayer, in our church and community prayer. We pray for our church, we pray for our community. That involves the whole world, by the way. From our neighbours across the street to the nations, they're our community. People we ought to love, we ought to love our neighbours, we heard recently, a couple of weeks ago here. As Rory prayed, he prayed particularly about that virus that is making everyone quite fearful, coronavirus. And as I've been following it in the news on my feed on my ABC News app, I've noticed also it's not just the virus people are concerned about, it's actually caused us to be, well, we've been actually horrible towards people. I have a friend who says that uh, Chinese restaurants are being emptied. Uh, People are making comments. People are treating people differently because of a virus. And what we see is As soon as there's sickness come into our world, and particularly, I want to say, the Western world, Australia, where we live in paradise, right? We live in a place where we already live in heaven, so why do we need God's offer of heaven? We live in paradise. Our lives are so secure. We feel so so comfortable. We get great holidays. We have great Instagram lives. And then there's a threat of a virus that is on the other side of the world. But what if it came close to me? And so what do we do is we treat people differently. We treat the sick differently. And the reason we do that is not more so we're concerned about being sick ourselves, that is part of it, it's because we do this to anyone differently. We treat not just the sick but sinners like this. See, as much as we talk about, and we saw this on Australia Day, we talked about Australia, are we really loving our neighbours? We ought to, Jesus tells us to. As much as we talk about we're a welcoming place, we so easily in our society make distinctions and and place people and put them in different spots and then we don't want to go near them. We treat the sick, we treat the sinners in such a way as to say, at least stay away from me. I want you now to meet someone who does life completely differently. We're about to meet someone, and I hope you guessed it's Jesus, because the card's on the table. I'm a Christian, 
And I think he is the most compelling person you could ever meet. And we meet him up close and personal in Luke's gospel. Luke writes an account so that you could be there. You can see it. You can see his compassion. You can see his reactions. You can see the way he relates to people is so different. The people of the day we see in this scene, in this episode in Luke's gospel, they're amazed. They say that we've never seen anything like this. So that Jesus, we see in this scene in Luke's gospel, he doesn't just look at the sick over there or the sinners and place them over there. He comes close, up close and personal. Jesus is calling the sick. He is calling the sinners. He came for them. He came for you. And we see three things here in these three short little scenes in this part of this whole episode. Three things here. I hope you've got your Bibles in front of you. Three simple yet profound things is that Jesus can make you clean. Jesus can forgive your sin. And Jesus is calling all sinners, including and especially today, you. And we're going to see what means that, that for us application flows out of that. There's three main areas of application. We kind of do this in our discipleship groups. We do this in our church often. When you're thinking about applying the Bible, there's three main areas it applies. It firstly applies to you, to me. When you hear God's word being proclaimed, and we could do a whole sermon series on this, we did a couple of years ago on hearing his voice, we actually see that God is is speaking to you. He's speaking into your heart. And the first point of application you'll see at the end of this sermon is, what's, what's for you? What's for me? And secondly, what flows out of that as a church of God's people is, what does this mean for reforming church? So firstly, yes, you as an individual, but what does it mean for us as a church, as a group? How does the gospel change everything, which is the motto of our church, the gospel changes everything? How does the gospel change everything about us? We're called reforming church because the gospel is changing us. How's it happening today? And lastly, if we believe this as a church, how is it changing Bendigo and beyond? Well, let's dive in and come to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 12, because we see up close and personal, Jesus meets someone who of his day is of the version of having coronavirus. In fact, I want to put something else out there, perhaps even worse. Have a look at this. Roy read this earlier in our Bible reading, our New Testament reading, chapter 5, so Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, we just kind of, in our day, skirt over that sentence, that clause, don't we? A man full of leprosy. Oh, yeah, sure, okay. Another sick person meets Jesus. Cool. And Jesus has been healing sick people, so we're like, yeah, sure, this is an ordinary thing. Jesus, sick people. But we need to just stop and slow down a man with leprosy. This is different to every other disease. And we'll see in his own words how different it is. See, we, we don't quite get leprosy today. My background... I, um, I'm, no, I was born in Africa. Um, if you've been to other parts of the world, leprosy still exists. If you're from other parts of the world, we're a church of the nations, you may know in other parts of the world, leprosy still exists. But if you read the Bible and you, you get into the, 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 the society and the times and the place, you see that it's not just a sickness that we can treat today, it's deadly and it's more than deadly It's a societal disease. So it has not just the possibility of of a a horrible way to kind of live, it's got a stigma attached. 
It's not just that you, you get sick, it's that you get ostracized. It's not that you get your, your, your body and your, your flesh is, 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 is not able to deal with any other sickness that comes its way, but no one else is able to deal with you. And so here we see a person with a disease that is not just a disease, it's a society disease. It's a disease that means that people want to flee this person. Yes, it's like coronavirus. Let me put it to you, it's more like AIDS. You can tell I'm old. Uh, I have grey hair now, middle age, fending off the crisis. But I grew up in the 80s. And when AIDS entered our horizon... The ads on TV were enough to give children nightmares. But they did more than that because that meant that no matter how someone contracted AIDS, it meant that everyone had a stigma about it. And so that you didn't want to go near the person. There was fear was, was sort of spread. You didn't know how to, to deal and how to relate. And so you just wanted just to get away, get away, get away. And that's what a leper goes through in Jesus' day. And this man comes, notice in the text, he doesn't come asking for healing because that's not the big issue. Jesus has healed sick people before. What does he ask for? I want to be clean. I want cleansing. Now that's got some context because leprosy is such a big deal. It is such a, a, a terrible disease and a, and a social problem. If we go to Leviticus chapter 13, you can skim with me if you want, but let me me read it to you. In Leviticus, we actually hear about leprosy. Leprosy exists in our world. Disease exists in our world because sin exists in our world. Our world is broken since the fall. And and we've we've got to see that, that even in the Old Testament, the way in which that I handle leprosy is the way in which we handle the problem of sin and sickness and death in our world. Leviticus 13, verse 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. And let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. It's the ancient nearest version of a mask. Cover your mouth as you go amongst people and say, don't go near me, I am unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. He can be still God's person. She can be still God's person. But the Old Testament shows us the problem of leprosy. It's a social disease. This man has it. And now here is what is so astounding. He goes to Jesus. And what do we all expect Jesus to do? Except he doesn't. We expect Jesus to back away like everyone else. Perhaps even the priest, the rabbi, would back away because they would become unclean too. You see, you touch a leper, you don't just have the possibility of getting a disease, you have the possibility of being attached to that stigma of being unclean as well. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't back away, he moves toward. Like it's extraordinary. And more than moving toward the person... He then touches him. And everyone else must be having a freak out. Oh no, Jesus. 
Normally, if you touch a leper, you become unclean. What happens in this scene? Jesus touches a leper. Jesus doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. It's the opposite. Jesus moves towards this person who is so socially out of place and it's so astounding that he comes towards him and touches him, shows him compassion. Can you imagine this man who doesn't even get human touch because he doesn't even get human interaction as much and here is this man who hasn't felt human touch for so long and then Jesus comes and places a hand upon him. It would be electric compassion and the love that's felt and then that he's made clean. A clean man who had leprosy, who was socially an outcast, now clean. What do you think he's going to do next? It's interesting, Jesus says here in Luke's Gospel, verse 14, and he charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for the cleansing. In other words, like the Old Testament says, do that, prove it to the priest, you're clean, you're all good, you can come back in society. So Jesus says in, in Luke's Gospel here, don't tell anyone, because Jesus knows what happened next. You know, all of a sudden things, that kind of everyone's just wanting to come to Jesus just for the healing. But he's got a bigger agenda, the Gospel that we see in Luke's Gospel happening. Now, Mark's Gospel says about this scene, the leper ignored Jesus and went out and freely told everyone. Wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, look, we, we as a church, we want to reach the nations with the Gospel starting in Bendigo. The nations are coming to Bendigo, we want to reach them. We want to reach our neighbours with the Gospel. And we have all sorts of different ways we can train you in evangelism. We have Sunday night training, which is kicking off soon, looking at starting perhaps some vocational Bible studies, some theology classes on a Sunday evening. I would love to get an evangelistic course that resulted in that. Like, I'd love a course that you wouldn't have to just train the skills, that people would go, wouldn't, imagine an evangelistic course where you said, now, you've learned all this stuff about Jesus. Yes, it's amazing. I know. Michael, settle down the front. It's very amazing. Sorry. Uh, uh, okay, okay, Daz, okay, stop saying how amazing it is. I know we're saying amazing grace. Just don't, don't tell anyone. And then everyone gets told. It's the most astounding act. Of course you're going to tell everyone, if you today have been healed, cleansed, made clean, if you've been made clean by Jesus, can I ask you this question? Could you not but help tell people about it? There should be no evangelistic course that could make you do that. But realising you have been made clean. Two ways to live, can't make you do that. Evangelism explosion, can't make you do that. Any evangelistic course you've got, good for skill set, but nothing can change the heart like this by knowing I've been made clean. And this man tells everyone because he knows Jesus can make you clean. And what we see next is Jesus can make you clean today because Jesus can forgive your sin. What happens next is a bit confusing to start with if you're new to the Bible for the first time, but you'll actually see Jesus brings clarity. What happens is, of course, verse 17, on one of those days, he was teaching, doing what Jesus does. We saw in Luke's Gospel, his main mission is to preach the Gospel 
And he is the gospel. At the end of the gospel of Luke, we see how that plays out at the cross and his resurrection. But right now he's teaching. And as he's teaching, we see, look in verse 17, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. And Luke makes note of this. In fact, we know from the other Gospels, this is kind of the first time the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the heavies have come. You see, they've heard Jesus has done a lot of healing and teaching. Yes, there's a bit of a kerfuffle at a synagogue. But down in Jerusalem, down at Central Command, Jewish headquarters, they've heard something's going on up north and there's this Jesus fellow. And well, so they come along and they want to sit in and listen. They're there. The place is full. Jesus got quite a following now because of all the healing happening. The place is full and he's teaching. It's so full that we see there on the edge of the scene, just kind of, you're kind of listening to Jesus and it's like, what's, what's that? Some sort of disturbance outside. And you can hear probably some whisper, we can't get in. We can't get in. There are four friends who bring their best mate. And their best mate is on a mat. He can't walk. He is totally paralyzed. And they want to get to Jesus any way they can. Just look at these four friends and look at their compassion. These four friends, they love this person, don't they? Like, there's fair weather friendship, things are going well. Yeah, we're, we're, we're always friends. And then there's real friendship, when things don't go well and people don't hang around. You can imagine for this man whose life has not gone well, he's paralysed, it would be very easy for people in that day, in our day, just to say, I can't help you, I've got a busy life, I can't be friends with you in that same way, I can't give that sort of commitment to you, just can't you just beg? But look at these men, they love this man, they stick with him and they say, look, Jesus is here, we've got to get to Jesus. And what I think they show us is this, at this point there's a little bit of application for us is, if you see who Jesus is and you see what he can do, get to Jesus. Like any way you can, get to Jesus. Yeah, if it's Sunday morning and 10 o'clock is like really early, get to Jesus. Yeah, if you're like, your life is full and it's really busy and you just see the Bible sitting in the corner of your house or wherever it is, Get to Jesus. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you stuffed up again. Get to Jesus. Get to him as fast as you can, any which way you can. Look at these guys. They try and get through the door. They can't. They climb up on the wall. They come to the roof. They get through the ceiling. They get to Jesus. And as they get to him, as they bring a paralyzed man, Verse 20, Jesus saw their trust, their faith that he can do this. They saw their faith. And what does he do? He says to the paralyzed man, man, your sins are forgiven. What? Hang on a minute. Hang on. Just, just, um, Jesus, you have been working very hard lately. I think you need to take a break. Um, it's just that Jesus, like he's paralyzed. Um, I, look, maybe we were expecting you to heal him. Just a suggestion. Put in the feedback box for later. 
your sins are forgiven. I think that if, if it was me and I was there in that crowd, and I'd be thinking, no, 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 Jesus, I wouldn't quite get it, right? But there are people in that crowd who do get it. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes. You see, where you and I are perhaps going, scratching our heads, going, what's going on here? What's Jesus doing? Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this who speaks blasphemies? You see, they get it, don't they? You have a look there. They get it because they're asking this question, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, of course, if you know Jesus and you know who he is, Jesus has, like a soccer match, a great soccer match, he's set up for the strike. He set him up for the strike. Or if you like tennis, and I don't know tennis, I'm going to get this wrong, he's ready for the serve of the century. Because they're thinking, you can't do that. That's for God. Sure, we expected some sort of healing because, you know, we get to see healers all the time, but you, you can't do what God can do. Who can say your sins are forgiven? I can't do that. They can't. But only God can. You see, they know their Old Testament, a little bit at least. An Old Testament prophet might say, the Lord has put away your sin. In fact, we read Psalm 32 as our cross-reference text, Old Testament text. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 have got a context. They're written by David about his particular sin. David, in later years, had a midlife crisis and it went terribly wrong. He was supposed to go to lead the men to war. Instead, he stays home and he's carousing. Well, is that the right word? He's coasting at that point on his, uh, on his rooftop, sees Bathsheba, someone else's wife, takes her. And when he does the dirty on Uriah, the husband, and then she's pregnant and everyone's going to find out, he tries to cover it up by having Uriah murdered. And Nathan the prophet comes along and basically says, God always brings truth to light. The truth always comes to light. Never be afraid of the truth, people. He always brings the truth. And David, at that point when the truth comes to light, confesses his sin. Write Psalm 51, 32. Nathan the prophet says to David, The Lord has put away your sin. But Nathan the prophet does not say, I forgive your sins. Because he can't. He's a prophet of God. He's orthodox. He can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. The Pharisees and teachers of the law for once in their religious self-righteous life are right. Only God can forgive sins. Which means, are you joining the dots? claiming to be God. Now, Jesus knows what's in their thoughts and their hearts. Why? Oh, because he's God. Right? Jesus is God, so he knows exactly what they're thinking. He made them. He made their brains. He made their synapses. He made everything about them. He made their cells. He didn't make their attitudes. Their attitudes are this sinful rebellion against God, all about themselves, And he sees into their selfish hearts. And he has a question for them. Verse 22. I love how Jesus answers questions with really bigger questions. 
He says, why do you question in your hearts, verse 22, which is easier to say? Now, this is a great question. Which one is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise, get up and walk? Now, that's a question for us. Which one do you reckon? Which one is easier to say? Look, in my Christian life, I've attended many different types of churches and backgrounds and I've seen some charlatans in my time. What's easier to say if you're a charlatan? It's much easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Can you test that? It's much harder to say, well, if you're a paralysed person and you're brought before a stage and someone's got their phones out, well, everyone's got their phones out, it's gone on YouTube, and you would say, okay, paralysed man, rise, get up and walk, that's harder to say because you've got to prove that. Like, that actually has to happen. You know what happens to a false prophet in the Old Testament? Yeah, you don't want that stuff happening to you. That's got to happen, right? But Jesus says, you know which is easy to say, but I'm doing this for this reason. In fact, he shows us. Verse 24, Jesus now explains what's going on. To those like me who don't know and scratching their heads, to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, he says, I'm doing all this. And so even the paralyzed man can hear this. You know what? I'm doing all this. Here it is. Let me reveal to you what's really going on in the room right now. It's verse 24. But that you may know this, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus has just said, I'm doing this so that you know who I am. That I have the authority of God to forgive sins. Now the Pharisees, teachers of the law who know their Old Testament, when they hear that phrase, Son of Man, bells are ringing. We looked at this last year. We, we preached through the book of Daniel. We're in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, we see this language of Son of Man. And so we see Jesus is saying in front of everyone, if you know the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 14, and to him was given. This one like a son of man comes before the ancient of days. And get this, Daniel says, to him who was given glory and a kingdom, all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel is saying there is one day going to come one who looks like a son of man. He looks like a man. This should not surprise us because Genesis chapter 3, Eve was told, Adam was told, there will come from your offspring, he, he will come, one who's a man, a man is going to come to be the rescuer. And this man, this son of man, who looks like a human in every way, who is in every way a human, is also in every way someone else. He's God. One like a son of man shall come. And he will have the authority of the Son of Man, the authority of God to forgive your sin. Jesus is God. He is God who became a man, a man who died on a cross to pay for your sins that you are going to pay for unless you turn and trust in him. Jesus is the same one who died for sins, who has the authority to forgive sins, and he does what this paralyzed man needs most of all, he forgives his sin. Yes, he's paralyzed. Yes, people get sick. But the bigger issue for us all is that we die. And for all our attitudes and all our sins, 
We're to pay for that. But Jesus comes and says, no, I'm picking up that tab. I'm paying that bill. I come to forgive your sin. Which means, thirdly, we see in this last scene, and this is for us to all see, which is really summarising those first two scenes we see here, Jesus is calling all sinners. What happens next is he goes and he just sees Levi, which we know is Matthew, the one who writes Matthew's Gospel. So verse 27, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, tax and he said to him, follow me, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And we look at that story and go, oh yeah, makes sense. I wouldn't want to work in tax all my life. You know, great career change. Who wouldn't want to stop being a tax collector and do ministry? Like, if you're a Christian, isn't it great to read the Bible with people and have coffee? And I get paid for it? Gold! It's not what's going on here, though. There's much more going on here. Again, in a social context, this has lots of social stigma. You see... When we think of tax collectors, we think of the Australian tax office and yes, they make mistakes and yes, we're a little bit scared that we do it the wrong way and they're going to come hunting for us. And No, no, no. When you see a tax collector in the Bible, I want you to look at this. This is someone who is a social deplorable. This is someone who is a social outcast. This is someone who you wouldn't want to hang out with. Why? Tax collectors are not respectable people. They worked for the oppressive overlords, the Romans. You know, the people that conquered you, they worked for them. Yes, they're part of your nation, but they work for the bad guys. They cheated people out of money. They betrayed their own people by dobbing them in to the authorities. They were corrupt, and everyone held them in contempt. So here we have Jesus, who's done some great things. Can't, can't criticise Jesus too much at this point. I mean, he actually did see that paralytic get up and walk, and everyone said, wow, We've seen extraordinary things today. And they've gone from seeing extraordinary things and he's cleansed a leper. Wow, it's amazing. And now he's saying to this dubious, dodgy tax collector that we all hate, I want you on my team. What in the world, Jesus? Like, seriously. How many times can our mind be blown today? And this is hard for us because we've got hearts against tax collectors. And you just said to this tax collector... You want him to follow you too? Jesus, don't you get it? He's a snitch. He's a bad guy. I don't want him. Jesus, if he joins our church, I'm leaving. The calling of Levi is a massive teaching point for onlookers. And it's also a massive teaching point for you and I. And this is also extraordinary. Jesus doesn't just call him. Notice what he does next. He eats with him. And then he says, let's all get all your mates. Let's get all those other ones that no one likes. Let's get them all together for a big, verse 29, a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Let's get everyone together and have a feast. Now, what does that signify? Not just calling someone. If you eat with someone, what are you saying? In fact, here's an important teaching point for us today. If you say, I'm going to have you over for dinner, but not have you over for dinner, what are you saying? You're included 
you're excluded. We make distinctions at the dinner table, friends. We make distinctions in our homes. If we would say, I wouldn't have those people for dinner, but I have you for dinner. We're treating people like they're sick, like they're sinners worse than me. And Jesus says, nah, you're all invited. Pharisees and tax collectors, they hate this stuff. Look what their reaction is. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumble at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees and the scribes, these religious rulers, these teachers, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You're accepting them. They've done all this wrong and you accept them. You keep extending your your love towards people. Your grace, as Jonah said to God. You're so gracious. It's incredible how people get angry about people being gracious, right? Like that we would get angry at God for him being gracious when he's been gracious towards us. The whole scene is scandalous in the eyes of self-righteous people. See, self-righteous people make a standard. Here's my standard. You break my standard, you're excluded. That's self-righteousness right there. Barefaced self-righteousness. But Jesus comes along and he says, what's standard? Break it. I have grace. And then Jesus finishes this whole episode with words that should be burned into our brain and move our hearts. Because they're grumbling, right? In verse 31, Jesus says, he answered them, think on this. Those who are well, sick people, have no need of a doctor. Verse 32, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I want you to notice this. Every time you see the word repentance in the Bible, not far away, is rejoicing. Repentance, rejoicing. Jesus says, you self-righteous people, You don't want to hang out with the sick, the sinners? Well, let me tell you, you don't get it and you don't get God. You don't understand him. You don't know his heart. Jesus comes along and he gives to the outcasts the ultimate backstage pass. He says to those outside, come in and don't just come in. Hey, I'd I'd like to have coffee with you. And I'm here with you. And I want to eat with you. You see, for self-righteous religious people, that's just stupid. It's insane, right? For self-righteous religious people, Jesus is just a teacher you learn information from. But Jesus is not just a teacher. He's a doctor for the sick sinner. Jesus came for the sick. He came for sinners. He came for you. The leper, what did he need? He needed to be clean. The paralytic, what did he need? He needed forgiveness. And sinners, what do you need? You desperately need friendship and fellowship with God. You need that. You need him. Do you see that Jesus is for you? Do you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive your sin? 
Yes, your sin. No matter how big it is. Do you see that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive their sin? Yes, their sin. No matter how much we stigmatize it. What does this mean for Jesus and you? Here's our three points of application. What does it mean for Jesus and you? When you meet Jesus in the Bible, you have a choice now. See, you can either pretend you're fine. You can pretend you're fine. And we do a really good, may I say, slash terrible job of that in our part of the world. Don't we? Like, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm also on Twitter, that's where the old people hang out. I get what it's like. I get, oh wow, great, my kids are doing something fun, something, but we just totally, we do that everywhere. We present this happy picture of ourselves and then we even come to church of all places, which is a hospital for sick people, and we say, how are you? I'm fine. Why can't we say I'm not? What would go wrong? We said it before, but if you don't have in your capacity on that day when you're not fine to tell all the reasons you're not, even if you could just say, could you pray for me? Just, just pray for me. We've got to stop pretending that we're okay. When you meet Jesus in the Bible, you can either look at him and say, pretend I'm fine. I don't need all that from you, Jesus. I, got it. I need a little bit at the end, of course. I need some sort of wealth and perhaps some health in my life. But I don't need all the other stuff because I'm not really that bad. You've got to stop pretending and just look at Jesus and say, let's get real. I need to get to you as fast as I can. All the pretending's got to go. I have sin in my life and I've got to stop saying, well, Jesus must be cold shouldering right now. He's not. He's saying, come to me. I want to touch. I want to heal you, cleanse you. Go to Jesus. In every moment, go to him as fast as you can. Don't be like the scribes and the Pharisees. Do you see that Jesus has come to restore your soul, to forgive your sin, to bring you back to God? Let's be honest. We all have spiritual leprosy. We're all spiritually paralyzed by our sin. Can't do anything about it. We're lying on the mat so sick we cannot save ourselves. Ephesians 2 says that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're so dead. Dead people. How much can dead people do for themselves? Nothing. And so thanks be to God that Jesus comes and extends his arm, not just to the paralytic, not just to the leper, not just to Levi, but extends it to people who cannot save themselves and says, I've come for you. Jesus is calling you now. He's saying to you, be clean. Jesus says to you, rise up, leave your sin. Be forgiven. Jesus says to you now, follow me. And he also says that to other people too. So what does it mean for us as a church? If Jesus is calling all sinners, it means that we are as a church, we're on about that. Like we are on about Jesus calling all sinners, which means for one another, we actually need to be real with each other. If it is, just pray for me, say that. But this is the place where you can say that, where you're invited and welcome to say that. This is the place where you get the help of Jesus. 
It means that we're the sort of people that verse 26 would say, we've seen extraordinary things today. We're the sort of people that would say, Jesus made me clean, let me tell you about that. We're the sort of people that would say, Jesus said to me he wants me on his team. Of all the people in the world, he said it to me. That's us as a church. If you've been made clean, you can't stop telling everyone because you're a walking miracle. You are a walking evangelistic event. It happened to you, for you, by Jesus. And that means for Bendigo and beyond, it means this. I said it, I guess, many times in this sermon, but a church, what is a church? It is a hospital for the sick. A safe place for sinners to get healing, to get help, and then to eat and drink with God's people. To accept one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, as God in Christ has forgiven with you, to bear in love with one another. That's a church. How dare I or anyone else go, well, I don't like them because they're like that. No. (laughs) Why would you need to? Why would you want to live like a Pharisee with bitterness in your heart towards people? Be free. Be free, friends, so that all those people in Bendigo and beyond can be free too. This is why we gather together. You see on your service sheet, we have no order of service. It's all there intentionally. We have this prayer at the beginning, a prayer for our gathered worship, so that at the end, and Rory's going to pray this prayer, As we sing that final song, we pray for our sent worship. From Monday to Saturday, we're sent to share, Jesus made me clean too. If you're new with us this morning, if you'd like real change in your life, the gospel changes everything. I don't. I don't change everything. Our style of music or our style of church won't change anything. No style changes like that. But the gospel changes everything. The good news of Jesus changes everything. So come and talk with me. Come and talk with one of us, with Rory, about the next small step of finding out more. Jesus is calling you today. Let's get to him. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that in all of our unholiness, and all of our blame, and all our dark secrets, and all of our shame, and all our pretending, and all of our pride, it's time to come out from where we hide. You see, all of our achievements and all that we gain, we've come to realise whatever status or fortune or fame, it counts for nothing because our only boast can be in Christ crucified. He's our only hope. So gracious God, we thank you that you came not to call the self-righteous, but sinners like the leper, like the paralytic, like the tax collector, like me. And we pray, do it again, in the name of the one who can. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.